Welcome to our Sunday service from St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Cape Town, South Africa. I am the Reverend Natalie Angela Barnard. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day when the Spirit came. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And again I say, rejoice. The love of Jesus in me greets the love of Jesus in you. Let us pray. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him. And say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord. And help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. O oh, love that encircles us, that calls us to prayer, and that invites us to discipleship, be ever with us and guide our paths. O oh, love that wearies not when we fail, that rejoices when one life is changed. Receive our thoughts and prayers. Nourish us, we pray, with the strength of your love. Enrich our lives with deeds for others. Loving Spirit, provide what is needed for your people, so that the world might learn of your wondrous ways. Amen. Psalm 13 is a prayer of a sick man who fears he is facing the sleep of death and who is having to cope with humiliation by an unidentified enemy. Worse still, his deepest grief is the sense that God has forgotten him. And therefore, the cry and the anguish, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The sickness he suffers appears as punishment, and his enemies evidently finding satisfaction in this. The agonizing thing is that God appears to do nothing. No sound is heard, there is no answer, no sign that he has heard his servants cry. How long will you hide your face from me? As Cyril Rod comments, only the man of faith, the woman of faith, can understand the horror of a silent God. This prayer ends on a positive note. Something, perhaps some word or sign in the temple, perhaps thanksgiving for a blessing now experienced, has given solid ground to the psalmist's faith. He has discovered afresh that God's covenant love remains constant, faithful and unchanging. Not even God's salvation is as amazing as the love which makes him save. The psalm begins with disillusionment, fear, feelings of abandonment, depression, and humiliation. It ends with praise and jubilation to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let us read Psalm 13 together. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? forever. How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We confess our sins. Lord, there are times in our lives where we feel that you are silent. We feel often that in the dark times that we are totally abandoned. We feel humiliated. Lord, forgive us in those times when we, we cannot put our trust in you. Thank you so much that we are aware that you understand. You understand every emotion. You understand every space that we are in. And Lord, as we ask for your forgiveness, we trust in your unfailing love and we rejoice in the salvation because you deal bountifully with us. Bountifully in your son Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross, who delivered us from all our sin, past, present and future. And we rejoice that in the day that you will come and we will be with you forever. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. The peace of Christ is with each and every one of us. Amen. Romans 6 verses 12 to 23 is a discussion of Paul about the purpose of the law of God and the power of God's spirit in the life of the believer. At issue was the fact of our being no longer under law but under grace. And this led some to suggest that we can continue sinning as much as we like because grace will in the end have the last word. In the preceding verses of chapter 6, Paul describes how the believer is set free from bondage to sin because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been buried with him, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now liberated, we are able to offer ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness, because sin is no longer our master. It no longer has dominion over us, since we are not under law but under grace. And because the danger remains that we may fall under a renewed dominance of sin, Paul 
admonishes us. Give yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and surrender your whole being to him to be used for righteous purpose. We are dead people brought back to life. How can we think of reverting to the former life from which we have been set free? The practice of slavery was widespread in Paul's world and he uses it as an illustration to make his point. At one time, we were slaves to sin. It dominated and mastered us. But now set free from sin through Christ, we have become slaves of righteousness. We are slaves of whichever master we obey, be it sin, which results in death, or of obedience, which leads to being put right with God. And this discussion ends with a significant statement in verse 23. For sin pays its wage, death, but God's free gift is eternal life in union with Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is a world of difference between a wage and a free gift, just as there is between death and life of an eternal quality. Let us read Romans 6 verses 12 to 23 together. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms, because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray.
living word, your word is our foundation. We love to listen to your word. May your word burn in our minds, our wills and our feelings, as we sense the light and heat of your presence, as your word speaks to us. You are the burning power, O God. Amen. A gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 10, verses 40 to 42. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, she will be by no means lose his reward. As God calls us to be followers, we are sent out and God provides everything we need and we can place our trust in him for he is faithful. Matthew 10 verses 40 to 42 reminds us that the work of mission is intentional. It calls for the involvement of the church in God's mission. It is not the church's initiative, but comes from God's invitation for the church to become an active participant. And the terms and conditions are given by God, who prescribes the essential character of her mission. The church participates in this initiative, not as the party who owns the mission but as one whose members receive gifts and talents to pursue the call to mission. And the task is described in verses 5 to 15. And it may well involve hardship and persecution and calls for loyalty to Jesus no matter what. The message of this passage speaks profoundly to the context that we are in. And the scope of the message embraces three dimensions, those of welcoming, receiving, the role of the prophet, and righteous, the just people, and rewards. And these key concepts relate a particular message for the church the world, and those called and sent to represent Christ in the world. The question can be asked, are our communities sufficiently faithful to the word of the Lord? Are our communities welcoming of those who are sent by God to proclaim the gospel? The primitive Christian community struggled 
for societal acceptance and for its message to be received by those to whom it was taken. And the same is true in much of today's world. It seems that people no longer welcome those bringing the good news. And this is easily interpreted as meaning that Christ is not welcomed either. And we may too readily assume that rejection of those sent by God to preach the gospel is also a rejection of God. Nevertheless, we are all we are all called to continue in obedient faith and persistent love. A deepened spiritual appreciation is necessary to accept that rejection that can be part of the journey of those who proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And therefore, Jesus reminds us that anyone who, who receives you receives me, talking about the disciples. But there is always the possibility of rejection. And when that happens, we are asked and urged to persevere in offering the greeting of peace, while also shaking from our feet the dust of that place. And this should be done not in any spirit of anger or resentment or scorn or argument, but in the sense that it is simply time to move on. Whether our peace is returned to us or not, the fact is that in the engagement the kingdom of God has come near. In an age of spiritual schizophrenia, hardened hearts, modernization and industrial technology, we might need to ask probing questions. Are people still receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior in their lives? Is the church focused more on self-maintenance? And not so much on evangelism? evangelism. But how can the world receive Christ if there are none to tell of the Saviour of the world and to call for repentance and reception of the Kingdom of God? The world, the unchurched, the backsliders are waiting to be told of God's love. And the church is calling those who believe and follow are sent out and we are to go to those who are living in darkness and to proclaim Christ who is the light of the world. The existing vacuum in respect of prophetic ministry, meaning proclaiming the word, speaking out, tells of a church abdicating its missional responsibility in respect of its spiritual role in society and prophetic critique of those in leadership and government. In the current socio-political landscape, the church is no longer fulfilling its role as the conscience of society by its prophetic ministry. 
sadly, the emergence of a theology of transformation has resulted in a church that is too lenient towards government. The church that is comfortable dining with Caesar is a church that is comfortable with the status quo. A lackluster ecumenical movement and the emergence of an inter-religious movement has contributed to the death of the prophetic voice of the church. Maybe we also need to ask the question, God, what are you seeing that we are not seeing? Where are we not being faithful? Where do we need to speak up? Communities seem to be losing the spirit of hospitality, of being welcoming towards strangers, of feeding the hungry and opening their homes to those who are messengers of God. Missionaries in times past did not have to book bed and breakfast accommodation or rent guest houses, unlike instances today where those involved in missional work need to raise extra resources to provide their own accommodation because people are no longer willing to share with others. So have our communities lost this sense of togetherness? Matthew 10 verse 42 is deeply African in character and encompasses the principles of Ubuntu, being together, which stand for sharing resources and never being at peace, seeing people dying of poverty. There was always enough for everyone, even for strangers. Christ has taught us that there is a great reward in practicing this togetherness, sharing with one another. Care, love, support. The early church survived the worst times through the support and love that characterized its members and communities. The call for the church and its congregations is to be welcoming and accepting communities, offering hospitality to strangers. The call is to be prophetic and not apologetic, irrespective of the response its message receives. The call is to share good news with the unchurched so that they may hear and come to believe in Christ as the Saviour of the world. Amen. As we continue to worship God together, we bring our offering and we do, we bring our offering online. Let us pray. Gracious God, your Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of creation. You made a world that was breathtaking and life-giving. Sin invaded this world and shattered it. Pollution, disease and natural disasters plague our world. God, our provider, heal the sick, give peace to the dying, shelter the homeless and protect the vulnerable. With your Holy Spirit, renew your creation. Lord, when you formed humanity, you breathed your spirit into us. 
Our sin separated us from you. So we live in a world of pain and hurt. Some are hungry, some are lonely, some are empty. Almighty God, give off strength, feed the hungry, quench the thirsty, support the orphans, uplift the depressed, and free the downtrodden. With your Holy Spirit, point us to new life in Christ. You called a people to be your own and to be a light to the world. Throughout the world, your church suffers. Some are mocked for professing your name. Some are killed for praying to you. Some pursue personal preferences rather than loving unity. God, our refuge, shield from harm those who love you. Surround us with your mercy and gird your church with the fruit of the Spirit. With your Holy Spirit, empower your church to witness to your glory. Through the grace of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. And so, Lord, as we bring our offering to you, we ask that you will bless it for the sake of your kingdom. Almighty God, send us out forward with your life-giving Holy Spirit, that we may proclaim your gospel through your words and deeds. May your Holy Spirit lead, equip, and empower us to bring your glory now and always. Now may the Lord of peace give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.